Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back. We are on episode 20. Episode 20. Can you guys believe it that we have made it through 20 episodes together? I think that is amazing. So thanks to all who have been listening all along, or if you're just joining in, thank you for listening. 20 episodes. We are almost halfway through Come Follow Me. So this has been an amazing journey, and I hope you will continue to stay with me as we continue it. But this week it is episode 20. We are studying May 20 through 26, Matthew 21 through 23, Mark 11, Luke 19 through 20, John 12, Behold thy king cometh. Okay, so there is a lot of scripture reading this week. Like, Percy have mercy. There is so much scripture reading this week. So many chapters, like seven chapters. Seven chapters of scripture that we are reading this week. So I'm going to do a really quick rundown, um, our summary, and it's just going to be chapter headings. Okay, so here we go. Matthew 21. Jesus rides in triumph into Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple. He curses the fig tree and discusses authority. He gives the parables of the two sons and the wicked husbandmen. Matthew 22. Jesus gives the parable of the marriage of the king's son. Pay tribute to Caesar and to God. Worldly marriages endure in this life only. We know that's a little different because of the Joseph Smith translation. The first commandment is to love the Lord. Jesus asks, what think ye of Christ? Matthew 23. Jesus pronounces woes upon the scribes and Pharisees. They will be held responsible for killing the prophets, and they will not escape damnation or hell. Okay, so that's the scriptures I'm quoting. I'm not actually saying bad words. I just want to clarify. All right. Mark 11, Jesus rides into Jerusalem amid shouts of Hosanna. We're going to talk about that. I love Hosanna. He curses a fig tree, drives the money changers from the temple, and confounds the scribes on the matter of authority. Luke 19, Jesus came to save souls. He gives the parable of the pounds. He rides in triumph into Jerusalem, weeps over the city, and cleanses the temple. Luke 20, the chief priests oppose Jesus. He gives the parable of the wicked husbandman, renders unto Caesar in God which is theirs, and teaches the law of marriage. John 12. Mary anoints Jesus' feet. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem is recounted, and he foretells of his death. To receive Christ is to receive the Father. So that's just a really quick rundown of our summary of what happened this week. Okay, since there are so many scriptures to talk about this week, um, I'm really going to, in this episode, try and focus on Come Follow Me and kind of stick into the Come Follow Me, because if I don't, there's all kinds of tangents that we can go off on. And even with Come Follow Me, there's still tangents I will probably go off on. Y'all know I'm like the tangent queen, but I'm still going to try and stick with Come Follow Me. So, first off, we have the intro into Come Follow Me, and it's about our poor little fig tree. It says, The Savior was hungry after traveling from Bethany to Jerusalem, and a fig tree in the distance looked like a source of food. But as Jesus approached the tree, he found that it bore no fruit. And we read this in Matthew 21, 17 through 20. 
It says, And he left them, and went into the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. And now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it, but found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward, for ever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And, guys, I have to tell you, for the longest time, whenever I read this parable, I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing to the fig tree? Like, this poor little fig tree didn't do anything to you. Like, and why are you, like, making it shrivel up and die? It was actually a really sad story to me for a while. But notice, if you go back into episode 12 and we talk about the power of story and the way Jesus used parables and to kind of evoke emotions within us, because we remember stuff when we feel emotions. So I feel great sympathy for that poor little fig tree that got withered away. And so I remember it. But it wasn't until we did come follow me this time that I really understood kind of what was going on and it made sense. And I kind of feel better for the fig tree now, okay? So, Come Follow Me says, In a way, the fig tree was like the hypocritical religious leaders in Jerusalem. This happens because a fig tree normally doesn't have leaves on it. It only has leaves when it's produced fruit. And so, what's happened is Jesus has come upon this fig tree, he saw the leaves, and he was like, okay, cool, this fig tree is going to have fruit on it, it's going to feed me. And he goes up to the tree, and there's no fruit on it, but there was leaves, so like false advertising kind of from the fig tree. And he's comparing that to the Pharisees and the scribes in Jerusalem, you know, who advertise, hey, we have the truth and the light, and then you talk to them and you realize, no, they're really quite empty. And so that's the parable of the little fig tree, and it's not a parable that he's told, it's a parable that he's created. He's like live-action parable, right? We're actually going to see a lot of that this, this week. I stopped feeling sorry for the little fig tree because, you know what? That little fig tree is memorialized in scripture. How many other fig trees are there throughout the history of the world that have grown and died and no one even said anything about it? But this little fig tree who he caused to wither up and go away has, you know, it's memorialized in our minds and in scripture. And I'm like, okay, so maybe that was an okay end for that little fig tree because it gave Jesus an example to teach others, to guide them towards truth and away from hypocrisy. And so I feel okay for the fig tree now. The fig tree and I are cool. So I think that's important to note. Okay, going back into Come Follow Me. The Pharisees and scribes appeared to keep many commandments, yet missed the two greatest commandments, to love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. And so that's how they're like the fig tree. You know, they've got their leaves out, but there's no fruit. The intro continues. In contrast, many people had begun to recognize good fruit in Jesus' teachings. When he arrived at Jerusalem, they welcomed him with branches cut from trees to pave his path, rejoicing that at long last an ancient prophecy said, Thy king cometh from Zechariah 9.9. As you read this week, think about the fruits of the Savior's teaching and the atoning sacrifice in your life and how you can bring forth much fruit. And so I've thought about that a lot. As we go through Come Follow Me, I'm going to share some of my thoughts with you. Okay, the first section is from Matthew 23, Luke 19, 1 through 10, 20, 45 through 47. The Lord judges not by the outward appearance, but by the desires of the heart. Okay, and I want to start this out with a quote that comes from our most recent conference, the April 2019 conference. And it's from Sharon Eubank. The talk is called Christ, the Light That Shines in the Darkness. And if you don't remember this talk or you haven't read it recently, please go back and read it because it is a beautiful talk that talks about all the different ways Christ reaches out to us, the ways that we can seek after him. 
I love it. It was one of my favorite talks from conference, even though it's not included in my top five talks. It was still like maybe in my top 10. It's really, really good. The section that I want to read to you guys that goes along with this particular section in Come Follow Me is called Some of Us Feel We Don't Fit the Traditional Mold. For various reasons, we don't feel accepted or acceptable. The New Testament shows the great efforts Jesus made to reach out to all kinds of people. Lepers, tax collectors, children, Galileans, harlots, women, Pharisees, sinners, Samaritans, widows, Roman soldiers, adulterers, the ritually unclean. In almost every story, he is reaching out to someone who wasn't traditionally accepted in society. Luke 19 tells the story of a chief tax collector in Jericho named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree in order to see Jesus walk by. Now Zacchaeus was employed by the Roman government and viewed as corrupt and a sinner. Jesus saw him up in the tree and called to him, saying, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And when Jesus saw the goodness of Zacchaeus's heart and the things he did for others, he accepted his offering, saying, This day is salvation come to this house, for he is also a son of Abraham. Christ tenderly told the Nephites, I have commanded that none of you should go away. Peter had the powerful epiphany in Acts 10 when he declared, God hath showed me that I should not call any person common or unclean. It is an unwavering requirement of Christian disciples and Latter-day Saints to show true love to one another. Jesus extends the same kind of invitation to us that he did to Zacchaeus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and will sup with you and you with me. Christ sees us in our tree. So that was such a powerful quote, and I wanted to share it with you. It wasn't in Come Follow Me because, again, it was from April of this year, and Come Follow Me was published last year, but I'm pretty sure that they will probably include that in future versions of the New Testament Come Follow Me because it works so well with the section. So again, this section is, The Lord judges not by the outward appearance, but by the desires of our heart. Which is perfect because, you know, the Pharisees are all about outward appearances versus the desires of our heart. Come Follow Me asks, What does Luke 19, 1-10 reveal about Zacchaeus's heart? And you might make note of the words in these verses that describe what Zacchaeus did to show his devotion to the Savior. Okay, so I went back in and I looked at verses 19, 1-10. And here are some of the things that kind of stood out to me. All right, so in 19.4, it says he ran, and it says he climbed. These are all action verbs. He was actively seeking, and even like, not even actively, but like desperately. You know, he, it says he was short of stature, and so he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. And so he's running, and he's climbing this, this tree so he can get to Christ. He's overcoming obstacles to get to Christ. Are there times in our life where we feel like maybe we can't reach Christ, and so we actively run, and we climb over whatever obstacle it is that's keeping us away from him, and we, you know, we're that desperate to get to him? Do we have that hunger and that thirst for Christ? That was something I reflected on, and I'm like, Zacchaeus had like that great hunger and thirst for Christ, and that's something I need to have in my life. Then also, it says in 6 that he received him joyfully. Do we take Christ's word, and do we joyfully receive it in our heart? That was another thing that was kind of instructive to me. Um, in verse 8, it says, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. 
Okay, so Zacchaeus is like living a higher law here, okay? I don't even give half of what I have to the poor, right? And then if he takes, you know, because he was a tax collector, so if he accidentally takes more than he should, he restores it to him fourfold, probably out of his own pocket. So Zacchaeus is taking like the base of the law of honesty and like going over it, trying to make sure that he is coming down on the correct side. Um, I think of my dad when I was growing up and we would talk about tithing and, you know, I'm like, well, dad, you know, I made $23 and 95 cents. Do I pay, do I pay $2 and 40 cents? Should I pay two thirty nine? Like what should I pay? And my dad always told me round up because you would rather be on the side of the Lord than on the side of underpaying right? So it's kind of like that. Like Zacchaeus is rounding up on his behavior. You know, I would rather be on the side of someone trying to be like Christ and someone trying to be good than on the side of someone who's like, maybe kind of, sort of, you know, I think, and this is Lexi talking from the conference talks and things that I heard in this last April 2019 conference. I think we are finally coming to a time where we can no longer sit on a fence. Um, We have been asked to do specific things, you know, worship God with all our heart and mind and might, do this Come Follow Me scripture project in our homes, study the scriptures, come unto Christ, do family history, go to the temple, go to church, make our, you know, sacrament meetings the highlight of our week, place the emphasis on Christ and simplify. You know, these are all things that we need to be doing. Christ needs to be in the center of our life. We need to be seeking after him just like Zacchaeus did. And I think we are getting to the point where we can no longer be on the fence. Like we are going to have to choose a side. Are we kind of lukewarm and wishy-washy about this? Or are we jumping over the fence like Zacchaeus did? And so to me, that was very instructive. Like what side of the fence am I on? What side am I working on? What side do I want to be on? And so that's what I got out of the story of Zacchaeus this week. Come follow me continues. What are the desires of your heart? Again, I want to be on the right side of that fence. I want to be on the side with Christ. So the desires of my heart, especially as I'm looking at Come Follow Me, and especially this week, was to come closer to my Savior. And I said that even from the very beginning. That has been my goal with Come Follow Me, is to come closer to my Savior, to understand Him. And I even have been able to specify this week specifically what I want to get for my Savior. But it is peace and to feel His acceptance and healing. You know, I talk a lot about anxiety and depression and different things that I've gone through. And to find acceptance of who I am now, flaws and all, and to find healing for that past. And I feel like he's given me a lot of that and his grace has helped me heal a lot of that past. So, and I find that it's happening even more so as I come to come follow me and I do these different exercises it asks me to do and I delve into the scriptures and read more about my savior. I find his grace works through me to make me better than I could possibly be on my own. So it says, what are you doing to seek the Savior as Zacchaeus did? Running and climbing into my scriptures. I'm taking those action verbs and I am running and climbing into my scriptures. Um, I'm putting my all into my calling and trying to focus on the things that matter most. I have started within the last month, especially doing family history work and temple work. And guys, last night I went to the temple and I took a name that I had done to go do, you know, certain ordinances for the name. And this is the first time as I'm looking at the ordinance card that my name has been on there as the person who submitted this name. And that sounds silly. There's something so powerful in doing work for somebody, one of your ancestors, someone you are related to, that you found yourself and you are setting this captive free on the other side. 
that was an incredible experience to me. So it was amazing to me to be able to give that gift of the Savior's love to somebody else who I had found and brought to him. And it was just an incredible experience. So if you haven't had that experience, I would definitely invite you to go to Family Search, search out one of your relatives, and take their name to the temple and do some ordinances for them because it was really awesome. I really loved it. Okay, also, other things I'm doing to seek the Savior as Zacchaeus did, I'm seeking places in my life where I can find peace in the Spirit. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on. But, you know, if you remember last week, we talked about the rich young ruler and the question, What lack I yet? And the answer that I got to that was peace. And I talked to my mom this week, and we were talking about that. And she said, you know, back in the story of the rich young ruler, Christ took what he knew was the hardest thing for him, to give up his goods and worldly wealth, and that's what he asked him to do. And she's like, so Lexi, someone like you who really struggles with anxiety and change, and you've got a lot of change going on with your job, and, you know, summer break's coming up, and it's a rough time for you, and you just got a lot going on. She's like, for someone who struggles with anxiety, I think the Savior went and he took the thing that was hardest for you, and that's what he told you to do. And so that has been a really interesting experience to me this week, as I have been seeking peace and finding all the different ways that I can add peace into my life and take the anxiety out. You know, whether it's deep breathing exercises, um, also Amazon Prime. I will tell you if you have Amazon Prime Music on your phone. I don't know if you do or not, but I love that app. Um, they also, if you search calming or meditation, things like that, it will pull up music that you can listen to that's like calming and soothing. And um, I listen to that in my car. Um, that's been one of my big goals this week is to find peace. And that's been a great way to just kind of like slow my mind down and be like, okay, let go of anxiety. Anxiety out, peace in. And that's kind of been my goal this week because again, that's what I was told to seek. And it's been a very good week. Um, there's been a lot of times where I see, okay, this there's this possible stressful event coming up. And by seeking peace and asking my Heavenly Father to help bless me with peace, I was able to just sail through that stressful event and enjoy it instead of being all worried about it. So it was a really good week. I'm really glad that I had that exercise. I'm going to continue trying to find peace. I've also found that I can follow my Savior by seeking peace in my life in places where I can find peace and feel the Spirit. So I would find that there were times in my life when, you know, things that were not necessarily spirit invoking, I guess, drove the spirit away and I would find the anxiety kind of creeping back in. And so when I'm seeking out entertainment, when I'm seeking out music, when I'm seeking out books and things like that, I'm trying really hard to find those things that at least invite the spirit. And if not actively inviting the spirit, at least don't drive it away. Right. I mean, you know. Not everything you read, Harry Potter's not necessarily going to be like spiritually invoking for me, but it's not driving the spirit away the same way maybe something else that I would read would. So that's what I've decided. I just need to actively seek things that are not going to drive the spirit away and even those that invoke the spirit, you know, music and TV shows and things like that. All right. So next thing, come follow me. In Matthew 23, the Savior used several metaphors to describe hypocrisy. What are you inspired to do differently because of the Savior's teachings? And I think that there's a little bit more to that. It asks, like, to list out the different teachings that, about hypocrisy and things like that. Um, for this podcast, I'm going to skip over that. I did it. It was an interesting experience. But the end part of that, what are you inspired to do differently because of the Savior's teachings? What I saw was that I am trying to be real and honest. 
You know, a lot of times we put on this face and we put on this front and we pretend like everything's perfect in our lives and we're not struggling with anything, when in reality we struggle with a lot. And so I don't want to put on this facade that I'm perfect and that everything's going fine. I'm trying to be real and honest and I think that that reaches more people than putting on this perfect facade. That y'all, I'm struggling right along with you. That's kind of what I'm going for. Trying to put my struggles out there instead of just, you know, look at how awesome I am. No, no, I am a hot mess. <laughs> I am a hot mess. I have a friend who tells me all the time, oh, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. And I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate the sentiment. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. No, you need to know that I am a hot mess. Like I have lots of flaws. I have lots of weaknesses, but I also have strengths too. And so not just putting yourself down, recognizing those strengths, but being humble about them at the same time, that's something I'm trying to do because I don't want to be a hypocrite at all. And so if I'm out here preaching repentance and stuff, I want to make sure that I am actively in my own life practicing repentance. And if I'm out here preaching being more like Christ, then I'm actively in my own life being more like Christ, right? Dieter F. Uchtdorf has a really, really good talk on this that they reference and Come Follow Me on being genuine. And I recommend that you go read that this week or, you know, watch the little video with your family or whatever because it's a really good, good talk. I really enjoyed that too. Next up in Come Follow Me, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, Luke 19, 29 through 44, John 12, 12 through 16. I told you we're reading so much this week, so much. But this is Jesus Christ is my King. The accounts in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Mark 11, 1 through 11, Luke 19, 29 through 44, and John 12, 12 through 16 describe the beginnings of the last week of the Savior's life. This includes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Those who recognized him as their king showed their devotion by anointing him. They put clothes and palm branches along his path into Jerusalem and shouted praises. Consider how the following resources can deepen your understanding of the events that began the last week of the Savior's life. And there are several different selected readings, you know, in the Old Testament, prophecies that he fulfilled and things like that. You can go read that. But the one that really stuck with me this week that I have pondered upon several days and just really enjoyed kind of turning over in my mind is the meaning of the word Hosanna. It tells you to go to the Bible Dictionary and find Hosanna. This is what the Bible Dictionary says. It says, Hosanna means save now. The word is taken from Psalms 118.25, one of the Psalms of Hillel. The actual Psalm says, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. All right, so save now. The chanting of the psalm was connected at the Feast of Tabernacles with the waving of palm branches. You know, we talked about Feast of Tabernacles in episode 17, and they would wave around their palm branches and say, Hosanna, save me, Lord, right? And hence the use of the word by the multitudes at our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Okay, so this was something that was very familiar in the culture. I like to think, you know, this is a totally a secular example. It's not spiritual at all. But, you know, on Veterans Day parades or on Fourth of July parades, we have our little flags and we wave our little flags around as, you know, the armies like marching past and stuff like that and say, thank you for your service. And so I think it's something kind of like that. Um, but I love the idea of Hosanna meaning save now and Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. So it's not just save me, but it's like, Lord, please help me. It's kind of what Hosanna means. And there's actually a song I found this week called Hosanna, and it's by Andrew Peterson. And I love how he takes 
our human nature, and then he uses Hosanna in that kind of save me context. So this is some of the lyrics, and then I'm going to let you listen to it. But here's the lyrics. I am tangled up in contradiction. I am strangled by my own two hands. I am hunted by the hounds of addiction. Hosanna. Hosanna. I have lied to everyone who trusts me. I have tried to fall when I could stand. I have only loved the ones who loved me. Hosanna. Hosanna. And then we go to the chorus, and this is the extended chorus that's at the end, but Oh, Hosanna. Oh, hail the long-awaited king, come to set his people free. We cry, Oh, Hosanna. Won't you tear this temple down and raise it up on holy ground? Oh, Hosanna. I will lift my voice and sing, You have come and washed me clean. I love that last line, You have come and washed me clean. If that doesn't invoke, save me now, O Lord. I mean, I love that so much. So, without further ado, this is Andrew Peterson singing Hosanna. up in contradiction I am strangled by my own two hands I am hunted by the hounds of addiction Hosanna Hosanna I have lied to everyone who trusts me I have tried to fall when I could stand I have only loved the ones who love me Hosanna, Hosanna Crushed beneath your heel, the vile serpent. 
You have carried to the grave the black stain You have torn apart the temple's holy curtain You have beaten death with death's own game are to love God and love others as myself, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. All right, and it says, If you ever feel overwhelmed as you strive to follow Jesus Christ, the Savior's word to the lawyer in Matthew 22 can help you simplify and focus your discipleship. And as you go through and write down lists of commandments and then talk about how they relate back to greatest commandment, to love God and to love others as myself. I think for me, the key to this is simplify and focus your discipleship. And that has been something I think that has also come across to me as I've been doing Come Follow Me this year. And also, you know, through conference and things like that, simplify and get back to the core of the gospel. That is something that has been very important to me this year. Forget all the frou-frou nonsense and get back to the core of the gospel. Um... I think my ward council is probably tired of me doing this because they think of like all these amazing things we could do as a ward. And I'm like, "Mm, do we really have to do that? Because we could just simplify. (laughs) And I'm kind of the party pooper, I think, on a lot of things because I'm like, no, that's not essential. That's not a saving ordinance. Like, let's just get back to what is important. Like, oh, all that is really nice and it's good stuff. Get back to what's important. And so I've been kind of the party pooper at ward council. So I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. But I just really feel strongly that we just really need to stick with strength of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what is at its core and how can we love others and serve others in the way that Jesus Christ would have us serve. And so that's something I'm trying to do in my own personal life. All right, up next, Matthew 23, 5, what are phylacteries? Okay, phylacteries, I actually had a professor at BYU who showed us one. He had one that he brought with us to class. And Come Follow Me describes them really well. Phylacteries were leather boxes containing strips of parchment with scripture passages written on them. Jews attached these small boxes to leather bands and wore them around their foreheads or on their arms as a way to remember the commandments. Out of pride, the Pharisees wore unusually large phylacteries so that everyone would see how much they loved the word of God. Okay, so there are these little boxes that they keep scriptures and commandments and stuff in to help them remember to keep those commandments. And they wear them around 
there's nothing wrong, I think, with wearing, like, I guess I have modern day versions of phylacteries, right? Like, I've got a bracelet that says, be still and know, because it helps me remind me, again, find that peace. Whew, anxiety out, you know, Christ's peace in, right? Take a deep breath. And so there's things like that that I wear around sometimes to help remind me. But I think it's all in the spirit of why we are doing it. Are we doing that to let others see how like amazing and religious we are? Or are we doing it to remind ourselves? Christ and of scriptures and different things like that. And that's how I do it. You know, even we could consider something like a CTR ring could be considered like a phylactery. So again, it's a tool. How do you use that tool? Are you using it to make other people feel bad about themselves like the Pharisees did? Or are you using it to guide you towards Christ? Um, some of my favorite phylactery type things that I've got um, is, again, I mentioned that bracelet, the Be Still and Know bracelet. Because, I'll tell you guys, honest story, for the longest time, I actually thought about getting a tattoo on my wrist that said Be Still and Know, just to kind of remind me to calm the anxiety down and, you know, just out with stress and anxiety and in with peace and calm, right? But, you know, there's the whole church saying no tattoo type thing. And I really wanted it to be a place where I could see it all the time. But then I kept thinking, I'm like, when I go to the temple, I'm going to look down and see a tattoo. And that just is not a good thing. And so my sister suggested, why don't you just get a bracelet or something that says that? And so I got a bracelet. And <laughs> so now I just wear a bracelet instead of a tattoo. So <laughs> that was me trying to follow the prophet and also have kind of like a little phylactery thing. But a couple of the other scriptures that I find keeping close to me helps me focus on Christ. Psalms 46 is like my favorite psalm. Um, if you ever need to feel Christ's love for you, go read that psalm, okay? Psalm 46. The t-shirt that I'm wearing right now has the New Living Translation version of Psalm 46.5, and it says, God is within her, she will not fall, okay? And so I want to read you some of the verses there from Psalm 46 that this reminds me of, okay? Psalm 46. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Guys, I'm sorry if I get a little misty-eyed here. This just, I mean, it's just so important to me, so I might get teary. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth may be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Verse 4, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of tabernacles of the Most High. Verse 5. And this is our translation of verse 5, and I love it so much. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. In that right early. In that right early meaning in his time. So God is in the middle of her, and she shall not be moved, and God will help her. That is what I am remembering when I wear this t-shirt that says God is with her and she will not fall. It is that scripture. That though the mountains shake and the waters roar, God is in the middle and you will not be moved. And then from that same Psalm 46 comes verse 10, the be still and know that I am God. And so again, Psalm 46, when you are having trouble, go read that Psalm. It's gorgeous. Then another scripture that I keep around, and I don't actually wear this. I actually keep it in my bathroom. It's like right at the corner of my bathroom mirror. You'll recognize this because it's from one of our hymns is based on it. But it's from my buddy Isaiah. Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yet I will help thee. 
yea, I will uphold thee with my right hand of righteousness. And so I love that no matter what you're going through, fear thou not, I am with thee. Again, God is in the midst of her. God is in in charge and she will not be moved. That is the promise that we have is that God is with us. And when we rely on him, we can stand no matter what you know, the adversary throws at us, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what others around us throw at us, we will not be moved. So in that case, I feel that phylactery type stuff (laughs) is okay because it reminds me so much to stand firm and know that God is with me and, and see his hand in my life. So those were some of my favorite experiences from like the main come follow me lesson this week. We go into the ideas for family scripture study and family home evening, and it talks about Matthew 21, 12 through 17, where Jesus goes through and he cleanses the temple. And this is kind of really interesting to me. I've thought about this a lot this week because, you know, Jesus went in, he cleansed the temple, and here's what was happening. You had the money changers in there, and you also had the people who were selling animals and stuff like that. And people would travel from all around, you know, to come to the temple at Jerusalem. And they would get there, and they would be tired and hungry. And so they would go to the temple, and they'd take care of business inside the temple. People in the temple were charging them like four times as much sometimes for these animals and to exchange their money than they, like if they had gone and bought a sheep down the road a mile or so, it would have cost, right? So they're upcharging them like crazy because of the convenience of being in the temple. So they're ripping people off left and right kind of dishonest almost, right? Also, is the temple really the place to conduct business? No. No, it is not. So Christ comes in, and this is another example of a living parable that he is creating this week. He comes in, he's knocking over tables, he's, you know, cleansing the temple, kicking out the money changers, and everything like that. And here's why I think it's a parable. Because what do you think happened the next day? I think the money changers and the people who are selling stuff set up shop right again. I don't think it had any lasting change on the temple at all. What it has a lasting change on is for us to go back in and read this and be like, okay, so worldly stuff needs to be cast out of sacred spaces, right? It probably also had a really lasting effect on his disciples and those who are watching and helped them see kind of some of the wickedness that was going on in Israel under, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes and all that stuff that they had going on. Yeah, the temple is a really holy place, but look what you've done with it, right? And so it made me think, especially as I went to the temple this week, what are some worldly things that I need to cast out of my temple? You know, what are some worldly things I need to cast out of my temple, like my mind and my body? And how can I better take care of that temple? And it was something I just really pondered on a lot. Um, And again, this week, going through and doing family history work and then going to the temple and doing that ordinance and that endowment for that family member was just an amazing experience. And it was one of the ways where I felt more connected to the temple, I think, than I ever have before. And also, I will tell you this. If you've not been in the temple, like, in a while, you need to go because they've redone some of those ordinances and they are beautiful now. Like, I mean, they were beautiful before. They definitely were beautiful before, but... I have never been through the temple and experienced such joy and peace. You know, there are always things that as I went through, I'm like, okay, I find joy and peace and stuff. But there's all these things that, again, anxiety is my issue that would cause just a little bit of anxiety here, or a little bit of anxiety there. And it's gone now. We are led by a prophet 
and by a God who loves us. And for even those of us who have small things that maybe don't bother the rest of, you know, the population or whatever, I mean, it was an example to me of how much he loves me, that he would take out some of the things that really bothered me before. Also, I think it is important at this point to say that if you have ever been bothered by the temple, or maybe you go and you sit through it and you're like, I don't find the peace that everyone else is talking about. I don't find the spiritual experience that everyone else is talking about. I don't find the healing that everyone else is talking about. I feel weird. I feel uncomfortable. Sometimes I even feel angry. I have friends who have these experiences as well. It's okay, guys. I want to say that it's okay and you're not alone. All right, because I think sometimes we only talk about the good stuff and there are times where we can feel really uncomfortable in the temple and know that you are not alone, okay? In that same chapter where Jesus went and he cast out all the bad stuff, 14 says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The temple can be a great center for healing. If you have ever had an experience where you're uncomfortable or, you know, any sort of negative experience in the temple, there's a book that you need to read. It's called The Temple Experience, Passages to Healing and Holiness by Wendy Ulrich. And I'll say, even if you've never had an uncomfortable experience in the temple, you just want to get more out of your temple worship ceremony, I would definitely recommend this. The Temple Experience, Passage to Healing and Holiness by Wendy Ulrich is probably one of my favorite books on the temple I have ever read. And it took my temple experience that, you know, I normally had just like kind of at a surface level and just expanded it by volumes. I mean, it's crazy now the way that it made me think of like the symbolism and things like that. But it's the passage to healing and holiness. It's using the temple as a method of healing. And I should also add, you know, Wendy Ulrich, I talked about her in one of the previous episodes. She is a Latter-day Saint um, psychologist and a therapist. She's got her PhD. And so she connects a lot of gospel doctrines and teachings and things like the temple. She connects it in ways that are therapeutic for those who are dealing with healing and, you know, maybe past emotional scars and things like that. And how can we heal from that? And in this particular book, she talks about using the temple to heal from some of those past emotional scars. And so it's a gorgeous book. Um, I just, I really cannot recommend it enough. All right. So she even starts out, she says, the temple can be an important instrument of healing for all of us. Learning to face and feel old pain is a gradual process. The goal is not to swamp ourselves with it as quickly as possible. We cannot think clearly when flooded with painful emotions or when numb to all feelings. And I think sometimes when we feel like we've had a panic attack or anxiety attack in the temple, maybe I just need to go back over and over and over again. And yes, I think that there is a place and time for doing that, going back over and over and over again until you can feel comfortable again. But sometimes I think you can overwhelm yourself if you are forcing yourself to kind of go through it. She says, if we have an uncomfortable experience in the temple, it may be enough for a while to sit in the parking lot and ponder the experience while noticing the beauty of the flowers, the peacefulness of the setting. We can give ourselves permission to do only those ordinances we feel comfortable with until we are ready to do others. You know, for a long time, I found great comfort in doing initiatories. Initiatories were a really comforting experience for me. I loved the power that they gave me and the experience that they gave me about the strength in my body and the gratefulness it gave me for my body. And for someone who's chronically ill and chronically upset at their body, 
that was a huge healing experience for myself. Um, so sometimes when I was troubled by the endowment, um, I would go and do initiatories instead because it was amazing. Like, you know, yeah, my body's malfunctioning in all these other ways. You know, my stupid autoimmune system will not control itself, but I can still go and do these initiatories and be taught about how powerful the experience of having a body is and how important it is and what a blessing from my heavenly father it is. And so that was really healing to me in that moment. And also, if you are listening to this and you've never been to the temple, I don't want to freak you out, okay? A lot of people go to the temple and they are fine and they have beautiful experiences. And I personally am at the point in my life where I find such joy and peace in the temple. I just know that there have been times in my life where I haven't. I just want you guys to know that if you are having a similar experience, you are not alone. All right, Wendy Ulrich continues. It is not uncommon for us to believe that unworthiness is responsible for discomfort in the temple. If we wonder if we struggle with the temple because we're unworthy somehow, we can remember that if we answered the temple recommend questions honestly, we are worthy to be in the temple. Neither perfection nor personal comfort is requisite to such worthiness. If you are uncomfortable in the temple, this is Lexi talking again. If you are uncomfortable in the temple, it is not because you are unworthy. If you have answered those temple recommend questions honestly, you are fine, okay? You are completely worthy. Being comfortable in the temple is not a requirement to being worthy to go to the temple. All right, Wendy Ulrich continues. Finally, what would help you feel safer, calmer, more loved, more welcome in the temple, even when you are aware of that negative aspect? What can help you kind of survive it? You know, I talked to one of my episodes about the two questions that I find most helpful in therapy is number one, what will it take to survive whatever it is that you are going through? And number two, what will it look like when you have survived? Okay, so you have a negative experience in the temple. What will it take for you to survive it? And I'll tell you, without going into too much detail, that there's a part in the temple where you have to remember something, all right? And you have to kind of repeat it. And it's a long kind of phrase. And I really stressed out about it. Like, I would spend the whole temple ceremony really worried that I would not be able to remember what all I was supposed to say. And, like, it would cause, like, some serious anxiety. Like, I would really, really be anxious. And it wasn't until I got to the point in the, in the ceremony and there's a temple worker with you and they are with you for every word, word by word. I realized I had a safety net and that if I ever faltered or forgot that that temple worker was right there to help me and they helped me along. And by going through and relying on that safety net, I got to the point where it wasn't such an anxiety-causing experience anymore. So that was what I was like, what do I have to do to survive this? I have to find my safety net. That was the answer to that question. What will it look like when I have survived? The answer to that question is, I will not be anxious about this throughout the entire temple ceremony, waiting for this spot to happen and being worried about the spot, right? And I have to say, over the last couple of times that I've gone to the temple, I have not even worried about it. It has not even been a stress at all because I know I have that temple worker there, that sister angel kind of sitting on my shoulder to help me through whatever it is that I forget or miss. And how much is that like our savior, right? We have our savior. He's our safety net. He's here to help us when we miss something in life, when we forget something in life, when we mess something up in life. He's our safety net. He helps us through it. And what a beautiful testimony and example of him that we find there in the temple. And you know, 
I think one of the things that the temple has taught me is that it's all about our Savior. We learn about the need that we have for our Savior, and we learn about His sacrifice, and we learn about blessings of our Savior and His sacrifice, and the blessings of the atonement, and how it strengthens us, and our potential to apply that atonement to our lives, and our potential to come back to our Heavenly Father, to be more than we are now. And that is such a blessing. And so to me, focusing on that, focusing on Where are all the places where I'm learning about my Savior? Where are all the places where I'm learning about my potential? Where are all the places where I can feel my Heavenly Father's touch as I go through the temple instead of maybe some of the parts that I'm like, oh, okay, a little little off about. When I look and I search out those parts, for me, they outweigh maybe some of the uncomfortable bits. And I have to tell you, again, after they change the ceremony, uncomfortable bits have, like, pretty much are gone, I think. Yeah, pretty much are gone. Like, last night, was one of the best temple ceremonies like I've ever had, just full of joy and peace and love. And again, I don't know if it's because I took a name that I had done and maybe that was just an extra blessing and I just had a really good time there doing that name, or if it really is the changes to the ceremony, I don't know. But I definitely, if you've not been to the temple in a while, I invite you to go back. If you have had an uncomfortable experience that is keeping you away from the temple, I definitely invite you to find Temple Experience Passage to Healing and Holiness. And honestly, if you are just, you know, maybe you're 100% fine with the temple. Maybe you've been to the temple last week and, you know, still get the Temple Experience by Wendy Ulrich. I mean, this book is just amazing to me. Um, If you need healing in your life in any other area, I definitely recommend this book as well. And I definitely recommend that you go to the temple. Even if you're sitting on the temple grounds, I think there's benefit for that. And even if for whatever reason you're not able to go to the temple, do family history work and submit it to the temple. Because by doing family history work, you are literally building up an army to help you on the other side of the veil. Yeah, I believe firmly in that. Um, That your ancestors, who you've helped through saving ordinances are there with you. So I hope that has helped some of you. Um, I'm sorry I got a little misty-eyed through a lot of that, but the temple is someplace that's really dear to me, and I try and talk about it without getting too in-depth or in detail with, with the ordinances and covenants and things like that inside. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that with you. And my testimony of the temple and my testimony of how it bears testimony of Christ, I also wanted to make sure that you guys heard that as well. So anyways, I love you guys. Thank you for listening, all 20 episodes. I'm grateful for the reading this week. It made me ponder a lot about Christ and about my Savior and um, how He loves me and how He helps me find peace. And it was just a really wonderful week. So have a good week. Keep reading. I'll see y'all here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.